Welcome back, everybody, to Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle podcast. I am Joel Fragamendi, your host. And, you know, what we do on this show, we talk to big stars in comedy, and I've got two of them for you this week. Our weekend headliner, Vicki Barbalak. She's got five shows. You might know her from America's Got Talent. You might know her. You might have seen her. Your mom might have seen her on America's Got Talent. She's got five huge shows. We'll talk about Vicky's shows coming up. And she talked to me. We had a great talk. We'll get into that. And uh, Jeff Leeson talks to me as well. He's coming on Sunday. So it's a big week. Lots of it. So it's a long show, too. And I look, I look, I get that this show's maybe a little longer than some of them, but I think you're going to enjoy. I think these are good interviews. You're going to have a you're going to have some laughs. You're going to learn some things. I know I did. I laughed. I learned things. You come to the Comedy Castle, you'll laugh, you'll learn things. You'll laugh and you'll learn. Not to park at the Royal Oak parking meters. That'd be one thing you might learn. But anyway, let's get into all right. Let's get into what's going on this week. Uh open mic night. That's Wednesday the 29th, 7:30 p.m. I want to say the last open mic that we did at the Comedy Castle, which would have been two Wednesdays ago. Had 150 people at it, which is kind of insane for an, any open mic anywhere in the world. So, um, now again, sometimes it's the comedians who are bringing the people. So, you know, but hey, if you want to come out and for five bucks, see a whole bunch of talented people, some amateurs, some professionals come to open mic night because you will see lots of funny people for one low price. It's Wednesday at 730. Get out there. All right. And of course, Vicki Barbalak is our weekend headliner. Five big shows Thursday at 730, 715 and 945 on Friday and Saturday at 7 p.m. and 930. You guys might know Vicki from America's Got Talent. I think I said that already on the show, but she did that show more than once. She went very far, uh, top 10 in season 13, and then she went back and did the Oh, I, I think even she did the Champions Edition. The Champions Edition. She finished in the top ten. That makes her a champion on America's Got Talent. I don't know how you... I don't know how they judge on America's Got Talent, but there you are. And uh, she is really funny, unique. Had a unique start in comedy, which you'll hear in our interview. She'll tell you about how she got into it, uh, who helped her out in the beginning, You'll hear about Mitzi Shore, the legendary owner of the comedy store in Los Angeles, in in Hollywood, technically, I guess, uh, Hollywood, California. And you'll hear about how Mitzi helped her out, how Mitzi's daughter helped her out, who I didn't even know existed, about her dad played in the NFL, and she's got some funny stories about there, about that, what it's like to live in a trailer. I don't think it's a trailer like you and I are thinking. It sounds fancy to me. But she'll tell you about that, too. I had a really great time talking to Vicky, so you will, too. And she does weddings in Vegas. So listen. To, oh, oh, I got to tell you this. I think. Now, look, you know, it's the small world, isn't it? They say that small world. But look, Vicky and I talked and I was feeling pretty, you know, towards the end of the interview. I said, look, Simon Cowell helped you out with this Vegas gig. He helped you out on America's Got Talent. Let me help him out. And I get I say, can you tell Simon this? And hopefully she does. I don't think she will. When you hear the question, I don't think it's not even a question. It's a piece of advice for Simon Cowell. 
So I have advice for Simon. He's made a name for himself giving out advice. Well, I'm giving out advice now. So maybe Vicky will tell Simon and uh, yeah, who knows. But uh, yeah, Vicky's a blast. Come on out and get your tickets uh, for Vicky this weekend. I'm sure it's already. Sometimes I'll do this. I'll just click on a show and go how many seats are left as best I can tell. But yeah, I mean, you got you got to get on them quick. Those Saturday tickets, those go every week so quickly that uh, you're going to need to get those early. But of course, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whenever you come, it's always a good time. So come see Vicky with Justin Pettick, the MC, and Ron V is her hand-picked feature. She she gives a nice shout-out to her features in this. You, you'll hear that in the interview, too, which I thought was nice, that she, she picks her opening acts, at least her feature act in this case, Ron. And so he must be real good. I have never seen Ron. But we'll see him this weekend at the club. And then stay tuned for the interview with Jeff Leeson. Now, Jeff Leeson is one of these guys that you'll see on his social media, if you go to his uh, his Instagram, all of this crowd work. He's one of those comedians with the crowd work clips. 50 million people have seen Jeff Leeson's heckler put downs and crowd work. And, and you might be annoyed with that. I know I am as I'm a little bit of a more of a purist. And sometimes I feel like comics doing crowd work is just them killing time because they don't have material. But here's the thing. Jeff Leeson's been around now for over 20 years. He's played all kind of clubs. In fact, you'll hear played a lot of the clubs in Michigan. We knew a lot of the same people coming up. Uh, played the same clubs. It was really cool hearing him talking about, like, my mentor, Bill Hildebrand. It brought a little tear to my eye to hear him mention Bill Hildebrand. Un, you know, just completely uh, uh, unprompted that the guy who helped me out probably more than anybody, Bill Hildebrand, is brought up in this interview, so that made me feel nice. We talk about Windsor comedy legend Leo DeFore and lots of cool stuff with Jeff. But here's the thing. Jeff does all this crowd work. He has all these clips. Millions of people watch him. Jeff's been doing this for years and years. A lot of these guys, you see them on Instagram, you see them on TikTok, and they're doing these heckler put downs. And oh, heckler gets owned at comedy club. And it's just like, ugh, I hate those things. That's not what comedy is. But Jeff's crowd work is fun. Yeah, occasionally it gets into put downs, but I think you are going to hear uh, his style somewhat in this interview, but definitely if you watch his clips. Uh, that what he does is a lot of interaction, but there's a lot of material there, too. Super funny dude. You guys are going to love Jeff Leeson. Um, he'll tell you about what it's like to, to, to be the only comedian in North Dakota. I thought that was really funny. And then he tells you about how he getting fired led him to being a full-time comic. So he had a job. He's like, I'm going to quit this job. He said, well, you can't quit. You're fired. And he's like, well, look, I'm going to be a guy. And he did. Unbelievable. So a couple of good interviews that I got for you today. Again, stick with it. They're about a 30 minutes each. You'll have fun with Vicky. You stick around, listen to Jeff, come out, get those tickets. Jeff is performing at 730 on Sunday, April 2nd for you. So there you go. Lots of comedy to come see at the Comedy Castle. Lots of shows. Big crowds. Big crowds last week. Chris Porter. want to thank those people. That came out for Chris Porter. It's always fun to have Chris at the show. You guys heard Chris on the show last week. He's awesome. He was great this weekend. So, All right, guys, let's get to these interviews. First off, we'll start with Vicky. Then we'll just go right into Jeff, and I'll catch you afterwards. How's that? 
<laughs> relaxing in the rain this afternoon. Oh, you got that rain out there, huh? Yeah, yeah, but it's but nice. It's, yeah, you like it. It's a nice change from. Well, you know, normally because we we haven't had rain. I live like in Oceanside outside yeah. of San Diego. Okay, and it's basically been a desert. Mm-hmm. But this winter, it's been like insane. Yeah, you probably heard we floods mm-hmm. like the trailer park next to me four trailers sh- just literally <laughs> sunk into the ground oh my god but, yeah so i mean and to come here and have more rain but yesterday was beautiful and it was kind of nice just i'm reading a book listening to the rain i'm like heck yeah <laughs> well i'll tell you when you get to detroit i can't tell you what the weather's gonna be so that's what everyone says. Yeah. It's like people, people make that joke. It doesn't matter. Like that. you hear that about Denver and Detroit. You do. you do. Yeah. Denver's like that too. But you know, we could have snow. I mean, it's, it's decent today. It's in the four upper forties. That's about normal. So I can't wait to get there because like, I, I've really just been to the Detroit airport. Oh, okay. And, and I always hear about Detroit and how mm-hmm. it's like turning into the new art place and everything. I'm like, I just, <laughs> I want to, and I, you fly over it. It's so big and exciting. I'm like, I want to go. Well, you know, where the club is, Royal Oak, not really representative of Detroit (laughs) for one thing. I got it. It's, it's a suburb. It's a suburb. (laughs) It's a bougie suburb. I have no problem saying that. Um, and, but people enjoy it there because there's bars and restaurants and that's why the club does as well as it does. It's a place that people want to go when they go out, but you know, you're not, uh, you're not really playing to the residents of Royal Oak, Michigan, necessarily. It's people from all over, and they come people there come. to have a good time. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of an iconic club. Like it's, it's like I remember being at the Improv one night and said, uh, "Oh, Mark Ridley called me from it's right after AGT yeah. from the Comedy Castle," and I'm like, "Yeah, I, I just I I didn't you know, I was I, I go I didn't have an agent yet I didn't know mm-hmm. what to say," and they go. You idiot! You. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, all these—I don't know how many years ago AGT was, but you're, you've made it now to the Comedy Castle, and um, yeah, I exactly. want to get to AGT. But let's start where you started. Right? Was it comedy class? I was reading about that. Was that the first thing oh. you did? Was a comedy class? Yeah, I was literally. Uh, I was in. I was in my bathroom one day, and I <laughs> this, this tra- out of the trash. I saw poking up with this picture of, of uh, Mae West. It said the Comedy Store logo. It says Comedy Classes okay. at the Comedy Store. with, uh, And I didn't know anything about the Comedy mm-hmm. Store. Uh, it just said Polly Shore's sister teaches comedy. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So I pulled it out, and I'm like, you know, I, this sounds like something I should do. And I, I think I've been to a comedy club once in my life, but I, I love comedy and mm-hmm. listen to records all the time. But so I, I went to this class, and I was, I was so uh, – so shy, I brought three really large books with me mm-hmm. so that people would think I was intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> it was so stupid. And uh, and then I just, and Sandy Shore, Polly's sister, had just recently been abducted by aliens for about a year oh, wow. off and on. And so she had just written an <laughs> alien dictionary. <laughs> That's the first I'm hearing of Polly Shore's sister, by the way. Sandy. Yeah. And so she turned out to be quite quite a fun person. <laughs> and uh, and it was and, and it was a, so I and I met these really fun three four guys that became really close friends of mine in that class and and that's what you know that's how I started uh, 
you know, just just from that that first class. Yeah. Yeah, and you were because I, I teach comedy classes at the Comedy Castle, so you were a right. little yeah, you were a little older than the other students. I take it, or is that the case? Well, it was weird because there, there I was I was like thirty nine okay. years old. Yeah, and um, those guys that I were there, Tom and. These four guys. Mm-hmm. They were, one was a psychiatrist. One was an accountant. One was a bank president. <laughs> and literally, and uh, and they were in the class. And then we were we were like you know the oldsters. And yeah. There was a bunch of, yeah. Well, there's actually one guy on a walker too. Actually, <laughs> so we we were the middle age. No, but and, that's uh, that's well, pretty typical for a class. Though you have older people, yeah, and exactly. I think the older people, from my experience, do better than the younger people most of the time. Well, you know, yeah, it, it was, it was just like, I, you know, it was, it, uh, you teach comedy. I mean, Sandy, Sandy had never done comedy mm-hmm. or anything. And, and she, uh, but she was, I just felt like the, the best part of it was you, uh, it just made you have something every week. Yeah. And then yeah. you started meeting people and knowing where the open mics, I didn't know what an open mic was or anything. Mm-hmm. So like I, it was, but, but yet we were, we were really looked down upon by, the people at the La Jolla comedy store, oh, like, okay. because we took Sandy's class. It was like a, it was like a, it was just a, like a brand of shame. <laughs> but I didn't know it. <laughs> but then people see you on stage and if you're good and they're smart, they'll get yeah. it and they'll go, yeah, this is a person we want around, you know, you know regardless of your background. Yeah, yeah. And I was really actually really terrible for the first few years. Mm. I really enjoyed bombing. I loved it. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so um, you know, but but eventually that that was like Fred Burns, the guy that managed the comedy store back then. He was like it was so funny that the the Cohen brothers put him in one of their movies just walking by. He was just telling jokes. He was just such a brilliant comic. He had spinal bifida. Oh. And he was really hilarious. He, he was like and I loved him so much. And when um finally like maybe seven or eight years into me doing stand up, he uh he uh he liked me. And it was that that meant more to me than I think anybody, you know. Yeah. That sometimes that's all that you, you know, you need that to keep you going at times. Just somebody yeah. that you respect to go, you know, you're really funny, don't give up on this. And and uh you know, I try to be that person around here as much as I can. And, you know, Mark yeah. Ridley was that to me. I, I you know, I, I always type, tell this story to people about the first time I came to the comedy castle. I didn't know what Mark Ridley looked like. I just thought it was, you know, the name on the door and, you know, he's yeah. never there or whatever. And, um, you know, the guy who took the money uh, told me I was funny when I got off stage. First time I went in there. And that's I said, oh, that's nice. Good. Well, this guy likes me, the cashier guy. He's, he, you know, he's supposed to see a lot of comedy. So that's something. And I'm walking it's around definitely. the club and I see all these newspapers cut out and I look and it's Mark Ridley doing this, Mark Ridley doing And I look and I go, oh, the guy taking the money was Mark Ridley. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. And yeah, and I was like, well, there's that, that, you know, that, that's a nice, uh, that's a nice thing to know, you know. Now, number oh, one, that he's in the club taking the money, which back in the, yeah. back then he was. Um, but that he he really cares and he watches, so that's cool. That you know, yeah, he was searching, he was seeking you out early. <laughs> and I was an idiot. Well, yeah, oh, then you, God. all right. So, so how do how do you get to America's Got Talent? Was there something in between there? Uh, well, the were you working? The best thing that happened to me was when Mitzi saw me at the comedy store okay. one night in La Jolla, and 
and she brought me into Hollywood and and worked with me for I was like one of the last group of people that got to work with her and yeah. I was so lucky for that and to be at the comedy store and and that and then and but you know but because I was old and unattractive and and, <laughs> and, and at that time in LA there was just you know I felt like there was just like they kind of well we already have Roseanne we don't need mm. you we're going to just give it up and they're just it's other being kind, you know, <laughs> there's, there's no room for you. And so I kind of went, you know, LA is not going to do anything for me. And I, I'm the kind of person where I was so like, uh, I didn't have much self-worth and I would say, well, they're probably right. I, I just, just love stand up and I'll just keep doing it no matter what. And, uh, but then, <clears throat> then one day, one of my friends called me, we used to have this gay show called uh Hagfest. We did it in like gay bars and stuff. And it was really a stupid show. We sang and danced and, People threw us through stuff at us because it was so horrible. But uh, we had fun. And one of the girls that was in it, Sharon, called me and I talked to her for years. And she's like, How are you doing? I'm like, How are you doing? I was happy to, talk, happy to hear her voice. And, and then she goes, Well, listen, I'm not calling to shoot this shit. Uh, I'm producing, I'm one of the outside producers for America's Got Talent. I go, <laughs> And she's like, You must, you have to audition. I go, Sharon, they're going to fire you. <laughs> I was really, I was worried for her job. And I'm like, no, just, and I just said, call Sean, call Cynthia, call Betsy. Mm. Don't call me. I'm too weird for that show. <laughs> and uh, and then she goes, wait, they're British. They've already seen you. <laughs> They've seen your stuff and they love you. And I'm like, British? And that just got me my head up because I'm like, <laughs> British people usually like me because I'm kind of a character. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, and I'll, I'll go audition. Thank God I didn't yeah. throw her off like I did Mark Ridley. Yeah. <laughs> but then you do the show and you're a big hit. And I don't know, did you done, you've done multiple seasons. Am I right about that? I, I think I just did the one season the one, and I uh, did the British. And then one. I did the, 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 the super, what they, then I did the all stars. Yeah. What do they call that? US. The champions. Yeah. The champions. The and champions. I did the cha- Britain's got talent. And then, Ugh, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it's great. And then as soon as you get that show, I got Gersh agents and everything. Just, yeah. It's it's really cool how that show, you know, if if you can't get around L.A. on your own mm-hmm. or you, you can get that show gets you right to the people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then it, it's the people to say, oh, I think you're funny. And then you you're you're good. And that was just it's a really it for that reason. I'm just I'm so grateful. Yeah. Well, Merrick's Got Talent, a lot of our biggest draws are people yeah. that really got discovered on that show. Drew Lynch, um, he right. sells out every ticket. You know, Josh Blue was just there. He sold every ticket the last right, weekend right. he was in town. And so that show really does get right to the people. And it's it's sort of, uh, you know, it, they know what they're coming to see. They, you know, so it kind of cuts out that whole people just come in because it's comedy you know, it's yeah. like people that are coming are coming to see you if they know you from that show. And as a yeah. comic, that's a really valuable thing because it just makes it so much easier. It, it is like you don't have to explain. Like, I think when I'm like at the comedy store in, in Hollywood, like on Saturdays when I'm not on the road, like, you know, in the main room, there's like 400 people. I think like maybe 100 people have mm-hmm. seen AGT and all the rest are just, you know, the same kind of people who's like, what's that? <laughs> it, it takes like a couple minutes for them to get, you know, to get me. It's always like, what is going on? Yeah. And I, I still enjoy that too. Uh, mm. that, that, but it is really fun to be, you know, on the road when people are just coming to see. And 
it's just like a shortcut to get right where you want to get to. And they're always nice people. Like, I don't know. They're just really cool people. Yeah, I agree with that. They are. They're very. I think when you're on television and those kind of shows, maybe the audience feels like they know when they and they do those profile pieces. So they kind of feel like they know you more than just some comedian, you know, like you're sort of human. You're their friend now and they're rooting for you to get. I mean, that's sort of the hook that they put into those shows to get you to watch every week. But then when you're there live in front of them there, they go crazy because, you know, that's your friend from the show. Exactly. It is. Exactly. It's, it is a really it, that kind of intimacy that they get to know everybody on that show. Cause like when they come to your house and stuff and they spend a long time at my trailer park and, you know, <laughs> with like Josh blue getting to know him and yeah, it's really cool. I, we, uh, I'm doing a podcast called trailer park diaries and, um, the bill Burr's producing for my best friend, Shanika and I, and we're having a really fun time. And I reached out to like, you know, my social media asking people to share their personal stories with me for a, fourth season and i just got so many wow. stories from so many people who like live in trailer parks and I'm like, <laughs> I, love this. I would think that you there'd be no shortage of great stories coming out of trailer parks i mean maybe there's terrible stories too but you know it's something of you know even if you're there and it's not great for you when you get out maybe that's great or you love it and you stay there i don't know exactly there's all kinds of trailer park stories and like where i live like you could not dynamite me out of my trailer park i love it so much <laughs> do you think but, it's like, but in, in southern california and i know this because i've been yeah. i've seen trailer parks like in florida yeah. places i've been yeah. that they're nicer and they're different than maybe what we have in the midwest or am i wrong about that it's so funny because when I drive by the ones in the Midwest, there's trees amidst them and they just sit there alone without fences. And I'm like, how romantic. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, our trailer park is like, uh, you know, it's it's pretty nice. It's, yeah. in, it's in the hills above Oceanside. Right. And, and so a few miles from the ocean. And, and I because of AGT, I bought like maybe the second best trailer oh. in my trailer park. <laughs> I call it the Tajma trailer. I don't want to brag. <laughs> I'm so proud, man. I'm trailer proud. It's awesome. Because yeah, here in here in Michigan, I don't know that we have, you know, ours are, you know, down by the railroad tracks or by the yeah. you know, by the freeway. You know, I, I dream of a, like a, a little trailer on a Michigan lake though. Well, Friends yeah, of mine have that. Yeah, people that do have like, that. Yeah. That's a sweet life. Yeah, yeah, I in, agree. In the summer. <laughs> in the summer because yeah. Um with a pontoon boat. Yeah, people got those. That's the thing. Michigan people, people in Michigan, Detroit, our area, very different than the rest of Michigan. I think, too, it's some people that they don't maybe understand that. I think some people think that, well, this Detroit is the whole state and say, oh, oh, no, you know, you go an hour away and there's cows and there's lakes and there's every rural thing you could imagine. Uh, The clan, you know, they're all out there. They're an hour away. (laughs) Yeah. That's funny because the clan is also near my town in Fallbrook. And, really? Uh, th- yeah, it, it, David Duke lived there. And oh there God. was this really fun guy. Uh, before I did comedy for 20 years, I sold carpet at my parents' carpet store. And uh, there was this real fun guy. He owned a bunch of property. He was a big black guy, drove a big Cadillac. And on the back of his car and his license plate, it said, I'd rather be living in Fallbrook. And that was always so <laughs> hilarious because everyone knew the clan was there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of he left so yeah well, 
I would imagine. Well, tell me, you you brought up your parents. Tell me about your dad playing in the NFL. What's that like growing up with that dad? Yeah, so my dad, he played for the Steelers, and uh, he was Pete, right? Am I right about that? Yeah. 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 He was super banged up. He had total. He played during the leather helmets, leather caps, you know? (laughs) So he was. His brain was completely muddled by the time, you know, by the time he, when I was, his, his decline was amazing, but he was still funny. I mean, he was still yeah. funny. He was a funny man. And, but he would like, he would see a customer at the carpet store in the daytime and then they'd be out to dinner at night. The customer would see him and dad would act like he never met him before because <laughs> his brain was just gone. But he, but he loved football and we I had a great time growing up and, being around a bunch of other players and we loved, we loved football. So it was, he was, he was a, a great guy, just, but he was definitely, he had the brain injury. Real yeah. Bad. Yeah. That's but, sad that know, that happens, but, uh, but he wouldn't have traded, you know, no. he wouldn't have traded his life. And I wouldn't have asked him to, because for whatever he was, he was still just such a, a really fun life, life living guy. You know, he's just mm-hmm. a great guy. Yeah. Well, we were, from Detroit, and we don't have professional football here. We have the Lions, so um, you know. Stop it! You have a team, a great team. We have nothing in San Diego. Yeah, they left. took your team. They just left. Like I've had husbands leave in the middle of the night. I could give a shit. They took your the team. Yeah, leaving. that's it's, terrible. It's killing. It. It's killing. It. It's it's. Real. I hate fall now. Yeah, as much as we kind of hate the Lions, like everybody goes and they sell out every game and everything. But a yeah. lot of us hate them. If they dare to move, forget about it. You know, like we would riot yeah, they if they moved. Move. Yeah, they would never, never move. Yeah, let's hope they not. wouldn't do it. Nah, no, yeah, only maybe. the Thoroses would do that. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't met the Ford family yet, but uh... okay. <laughs> uh, All right. So what else? So tell me about these. What is this wedding to go thing? How does that oh, yeah. work? And this is this a thing that existed before you were uh, yes. a known comic? Well, tell everybody about it. So like about eight years ago, I, I love getting married. You know, I do it all the time. But Lou, <laughs> Lou, my favorite husband so far, he's the piano player at the comedy store. Okay. And so we've been together now, like I'm like almost 20 years. And so I, I thought I'd get married many more times, but he slowed everything down. And, and so uh, we got married like seven years into knowing each other at the comedy store on a Monday night with a two drink minimum. Mm-hmm. And, but so I just miss getting married. So I started, people say, do what you love, the money yeah. will follow. So I decided to make a little wedding chapel to go. So we got a Ford Trent van, put um, pink leopard and roses all over it. And uh, we marry anybody, anytime. <laughs> and we have a little pop-up wedding. And because at Camp Pendleton, I marry people on Fridays, a Semper Fi Fridays for okay. like $99. And, and it was really fun. And, uh, and we have a, in the back of the van, Lou built a, built a platform and a bed. <laughs> and we offer a, Twenty nine ninety five half hour honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> Do people take you up on it? No, yes, but no one has ever lasted a half hour, man. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. But and and you're are you the minister? Yeah, oh, wow. I'm a woman of the leopard cloth, <laughs> and uh, but I, I I really work hard at them. I, I take I'm everyone is is special and different for the people and. And now because of AGT and the, the money that I make on the road on weekends, hardly anyone can afford me on weekends. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I'm going to try to maybe like now that I have the Jimmy Kimmel residency in Vegas, kind of bring the, the chapel just to Vegas. And oh, then when people okay. are coming in to see AGT yeah. or me or both, 
they could get married for cheap because I'll already be there. <laughs> they're drunk. They're making poor decisions. They've seen you at the club yes. and off you yeah. go. Or they could do an annulment, a, 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 like a vow renewal and make use of my twenty nine ninety five dollars Oh, there you well. go. Well, that's great. <laughs> and you got the Vegas yeah. thing going. I didn't know about that. That sounds fantastic. That seems yeah. like every comic's dream is to say, it's going to work Vegas and let's do that for a few months and that'll be great. You know, it never occurred to me, man. I no? swear to you, I never thought of it. But yes, I don't know why. It's just uh, <laughs> stupid. But um, yeah, before they shut down um, COVID, uh, these guys, uh, thanks to Simon Cowell, basically, oh. um, got me into this group that, from Caesars. And then and then Jimmy Kimmel opened this club. And then they talked to Jimmy Kimmel. And he saw me and he said yes. So I had my residency started before uh, COVID. And it's called Trailer Park Tuesdays. And then... After the COVID, the club, no one thought it was going to reopen. Everyone said it would never reopen. And I was just grateful that I got to do it. But then they called me last November and started it back up to Trailer Park Tuesdays. It's called Trailer Park Party every Tuesday at the Jimmy Kimmel Club, which is gorgeous. It says a beautiful club. So I'm having a ball. Nice. Sounds yeah. great. Yeah, we play trailer park trivia during the show. We have an <laughs> intermission and it's just a mess. It's really fun. Sounds great. So Simon helped yeah. you out, huh? He did. Good for him. If you yeah, see Simon, he, tell him to stop messing with that face. Okay. Can you do that for me? Oh, Say Joel oh, in Detroit said, you didn't knock it off, dude. Isn't it a bummer that he got caught? What is he doing? Like, well, I, everyone I, does it, but, but nobody drives around. Yeah. But I mean, he got, he fell off his bike, but he's nipping yeah. and tucking like he's Joan Rivers I mean, or something. That, I don't know what he's doing. LA, though. I mean, I swear <laughs> to you, if there's, if there's anyone that's not doing it, yeah. you know, I'd like to know. But I mean, what a, I mean, what, usually people, they go to, like, somewhere until it's gone. Yeah. But he forgot. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's it's. I get you're on TV and there's some sort of, you know, there's an aesthetic there that you want to hold up. But you're known as the mean guy from TV. You're not known as the vain, handsome dude. You know, he, you got all the money in the world. Yeah. Stop with that. I, I get it. I understand it. I, I get it. And he's so handsome without doing it. Yeah. Like he didn't need to do it. Yeah. And men, men can go a lot longer before they have to have it. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you his name, but there's one comic at the comedy store who had his face done and he just couldn't wait to get back on stage. But during right before his set, his neck opened up and started bleeding. Oh, on his tie. No. And he, yeah, and I, 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 I'm like, Oh God! But I didn't want to tell him. Like your guy's got blood on it. Oh man! <laughs> so oh. I went out there. Yeah. <laughs> did the audience notice, or did it? Did it was? Did well, it was yeah. How could they not? Notice? Oh God! I mean, I mean, it was a yellow tie. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I should have told him. Oh. I just couldn't do it. Well, that's the. I mean. That's and, and maybe he doesn't know and he thinks that that's going to help his career or have, they're going to yeah. put him back on TV or whatever it is. Oh, he, I mean, he looks great now. Yeah, I mean, he really was. He got lucky. It was a good one, but not like those horrible ones you see. Yeah. I mean, like if if I, you know, I, I'm I'm fat, so I don't have to have surgery because yeah. my fat holds my wrinkles away. <laughs> but every. It's just, it's crazy what people do. And they're so young when they start doing it. Yeah. Well, I'm 50 and, you know, I'm fat now, but like six years ago, I lost 80 pounds. Okay. Wow. 
And I looked, I've always probably probably looked young for my age, but I also yeah. got these people who, you know, were like, hey, you look great. And we're all talking. Everyone's having a good time. And then they, they when everyone's gone, they pull me aside. They go, are you okay? You're not sick. Are you? <laughs> You're sick. Oh, my God. And I'd be like, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm just eating good. Trust me on this one. Now, you know. Stop eating carbs. Yes. Oh, that's so hilarious. So I'm chubby yeah. now, but I gotta, I gotta get me, me and my girlfriend. We're both kind of going through that, so we're trying. It's just you know, yeah. after, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I lost, I, I gained twenty. I, you know, I, you know, I was already a big gal, and I gained twenty pounds uh, towards the end of COVID, and, and I've lost like thirteen of it back. But yeah, it's. It's just, you know, whatever. I just, all I care about is that I can buckle a seatbelt on a plane. <laughs> I'm not going to ask for an extender. I'll put a sweater they, over my tummy and die. I don't care. Nah, they got, well, yeah, they got the extent. I, you got to do that discreetly. Believe me, I've done that too. <laughs> I'm never going to do it. First thing you walk up and you go, excuse me, before everyone's up. <laughs> first you go, I got a bad knee. I got to get on the plane before everybody else. That's number one. And then when you're, uh, when you've pulled that ruse off, you can get the extender. No, not yeah. dude. All right, no, I that's can't fair. Do it, I'm proud of you. I'm, I'm proud giving of you advice. Roman. I've been there. I'm proud of you. I've done it. Okay. <laughs> I'm proud of you. I'm using the sweater, but I, luckily, so far, I just I wear spanks and I hold it tight. Yeah. But my my friend Amber is just gigantic, and I love her so much. And she and her friend are, is gigantic too, and they always travel together. And they always get on the plane. and They go, "Give us our extenders!" <laughs> and they yell it out. It's so funny. That is funny, oh, though. They just not give a funny. shit and, and own it and they say, give me these shit. extenders. Come on. And a, and a drink pronto. <laughs> you skinny bitch. Come on. Yeah. Oh. So well, listen, it's it's going to be great having you at the club. I'm super excited. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so sure everyone's there. Yeah. And I've got, uh, I, you know, we can talk about it when you're here, but I'd love to have you as a guest in comedy class. But I'm not I don't want you to make any promises now, but. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll tell some alien dictionary stories. <laughs> Please do. That'd be great. So, yeah, Vicky, well, I mean, Royal Oak's ready for you. It's going to be a great weekend. Who's opening? I know you're bringing an opener. Um, well, Matt Bergman's going to be there Oh, Matt tomorrow. Bergman. Oh, okay. Yeah. And tonight, a friend of Matt's, Noah, um, I forgot his last name, but Matt said he's really brilliantly funny. And okay. then my friend, Joel Sachs. Uh, do you know Joel Sachs at all? I don't know. I know Matt Bergman, but yeah. Oh, wait a minute. I mean, I mean, Are you in the Joel wrong Sachs town? Be... <laughs> I'm in the wrong town. You're in the wrong town. I'm in the wrong... <laughs> I... Can you erase this? Nah, whatever. I'm bringing, Ron... I'm bringing Ron Vine, a guy who I absolutely love. Ron Vine, um, okay. From San Francisco. He's so He hosts my show in Vegas every week. All right. And uh, he's just so much fun. He's a, a real live wire. I love mm. him. Well, I'm going to leave yeah. all those plugs in to all those other guys because we've had man. Matt Bergman at the club. Matt Bergman's great. I'm sure whoever Isn't he great? you're working with is super funny and we're looking for. And we got uh, young Justin Pettick opening for you. So, oh, that's great. He's a big that's he's fantastic. a big he's a big burly fella, too. You're going to like Justin. Oh, I like a real man. That's one thing I love about getting out of California. All yeah, right. you see well, some I'm Michigan so guys. Yeah. Yeah, I love that bigger brawny paper towel ad. Yeah, yeah he 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 looks like he could be storming the Capitol, but he's really nice. Oh, I love it. I love <laughs> it. I cannot wait to get there. And thank you so much for having me hey, on. Great to have you, Vicky. We'll see you in a. Will, it, will, it, will I maybe weekend. see you this weekend? Of course, you'll see me. I'm working the. I work the door at the club usually, so I, you'll see me there. And I come okay. back and I do the. I do the voice of God. I do the. Oh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle.
That's my gig. So, I yeah. love it. So, yeah, you'll see me it. every show. Okay, cool. I'll All see right. you there. Thanks, right. everybody. Thanks for talking to me. Thank you. All Bye. Right. Bye-bye. Hello? Is this Jeff Leeson? Yeah, speaking. <laughs> Stroll Fragmenti from the Comedy Castle. How are you doing? Oh, hey, man, I'm good. How are you? Sorry, that sounded so professional. No, uh, well, me, uh, me or you. I thought you sounded professional. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I put on my uh, professional voice there for a moment. <laughs> if you would have known it was me, what would it have sounded like? <laughs> yeah, I, w- I don't know what I was thinking because I, I didn't recognize the number. And yeah. uh, I just had two hotel like situations where I had to cancel one and reserve a different one. I was like, uh, oh shit, they're calling me because I did something wrong. Oh my goodness. Well, that yeah, is that is why that, I'm man. calling, by the way, is about the hotel. But you know. Yeah, well, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> All right, man. Well, how you doing, Jeff? I mean, we'll just, t- I mean, I, I guess, uh, I mean, this could be the interview. I don't know. But um, anything you want to plug in particular? I mean, you got you coming up on Sunday. Well, I think you're living the dream, dude. I mean, I saw your schedule. You're everywhere. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a pretty wild uh, maybe year and a half or uh, uh, so um, of touring, and the schedule's getting quite full, which uh, which I like. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, it's been awesome. Yeah, I mean, in, in the, the one-nighters, all these different towns. I mean, is that is there a difference? Are you saying, hey, I really want? these one nights versus doing weekends at clubs or is it more like i don't know is it feel like like you can just book these things a little faster if they're not weekends or something um no i mean it's it's kind of more uh availability yeah so you know and and in some clubs and in some cases um it's kind of a test run in ah. some markets just like how do you sell here and then mm-hmm. if things go well We'll move you, you know, to the um, to the uh, weekend shows or ah. you know something like it. It's I would say it's probably more based on the availability and just like what they're willing to do instead of just like getting to pick and choose. Well, listen, I know that we will have. First of all, you've done the Comedy Castle and you've done quite well there. Uh, you know, both as a draw and of course on stage. But we know. You are Canada's number one comedian, and we know that we are a border town, and we will be. I, I fully expect Canada to be in the house on Sunday night. Well, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> I feel I, I I feel more far more people know my name uh, in America than in Canada. In oh, Canada, is that the I'm case? That who? Oh yeah, really? Yeah, in in Canada, in Canada they bill me as who. <laughs> Well, listen, until I speak to one of these other Canadian comedians, you're the number one comic in Canada, as far as I'm concerned. I'll take it. You take it from me. From And you put that on the poster. Number one comedian in Canada. And then you put uh, Comedy uh, Castle Podcast right there. That sounds better. Please do. That's the blurb. <laughs> like, we got Ian Bag coming. That guy lives in California. He's not Canadian anymore. Get out of here, Ian. Come on. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But he is amazing. He's, he, he he's is, one of my favorites. He, he is kind of amazing. But he's not talking to me now. You are. 
Absolutely. You're exactly. <laughs> That's why I'm the number one Canadian comedian. <laughs> number one Canadian comedian, Jeff Leeson. Um, all right. I got to talk to you. So I'm on your Instagram here. I was looking earlier. Um, and you are a guy. Now, listen, I know how. Well, first of all, when did you start uh, doing stand up comedy? I started uh, very young. I started at 14 years old. So okay. it was like 23 years ago. Okay. So you're, you're like early 2000s, maybe late 90s. Okay. And you've largely, as I remember it, your your style now has been your style for years, would you say? It, it took you some time maybe to find it, but you've been kind of working that style for a while, if I remember. Yeah, it's um, it, it's been probably in the the current version is probably the last say eight or nine years uh, of of that particular style, um, but it's. Yeah, the way I mean, the way I began when I was very young was almost like a dollar dollar store version of Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> okay, and yeah, and then it kind of went into like um, I don't even know what uh, I guess like storytelling and stuff. I mean, I kind of dabbled in a bunch of different things right. over the years. And I bring this up because you have all these crowd work clips, and all these like millions of people have seen your clips. Does it rub you the wrong way that I see these new guys? And I'm talking guys who've been doing it three, four years, and that's all they do. And that's all their Instagram is. And we've booked some of them at the club. And they're just like fishing for like uh, Instagram clips or TikToks. And there's kind of no meat to the show. And it's it's just it's kind of disappointing, you know? Does that bother you at all? I mean, have you seen these people? Um, I definitely have seen it. I know it's out there. Um, you know, it doesn't, I, I wouldn't say it bothers me. I, I always give the advice to like younger comics and stuff that are coming up just to not rush the crowd work right. thing and, and to try to, you know, learn the, the craft, the art of comedy, like how to write a joke, how to say the jokes, you know, all, yeah. all of that kind of stuff first. And then that will certainly help in better crowd mm-hmm. work. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and, and I, I guess the, the thing that I wouldn't, I still wouldn't say bother me, but the thing that I see a lot is like, there's a lot of people just putting out clips for the state, sake mm-hmm. of putting out clips, but they're so new that it's like, if that clip goes viral and you can start selling tickets, you don't have a full show. Yeah, that's true. So yeah. like you're, you're doing yourself such a disservice because mm-hmm. Maybe you can sell one round of tickets, but if people come and they watch yeah. an hour show that has 15 minutes worth of stuff in it, and the rest is they're they're looking at you like, what the hell is this? Yeah, um, then that could be more detrimental. So, you know, it's it, I, I appreciate anyone's hustle and anybody willing to put in the work, but I think there can be some things that are going up too soon or a lot of stuff that's going up just for the sake of putting something out that day. Yeah. Cause I saw, we, we had a guy like that and it was, it was sort of like, you know, I mean like, and when he did material, when he did and you hit the ratio right there, like 15 minutes of real comedy, it was like really funny. And then it was just like hunting through this crowd for stuff. And Oh man, it was like, I want to pull that guy aside and say, look here, Saying happening for you, but I don't do that. 
Yeah, yeah. It's, it's tough, too, because you can't, you know, if somebody, especially if somebody stole tickets as a result of their following, it's hard to tell them, like, hey, this, yeah, you know, this version of what you're doing, I mean, it's definitely sold tickets, but look at, I always look at how many of those people would return. That's, that's the there big number. Go. It's not right. It's not, can you sell out a thousand? It's like, would a thousand out of a thousand come back and bring another thousand people with them, you know, next time? Or would they, or would they say, if somebody was buying your ticket, would they go, yeah, you know what? It's better online. Just, just stay home yeah. and watch this clip. Yeah, you there know? you go. That's good advice. Yeah. I think that some of these guys, uh, you know, I mean, and then it, it, I think it also sets up. Ex- but first of all, you are, and I, there's an article. I'm not now. This one's actually a real title. You were given the king of crowd work. I've seen that with your name on it. Yes, I. Uh, <laughs> there, there have been a couple writings, uh, or people wrote that down. Yes. Yeah. I, personally, I don't like the name of it. Right. Because. Especially right now, I mean, there's so many people doing crowd work, and there's lots of people that do it way better than I do, um, and mm. and lots of people with you know bigger followings and stuff like that 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 just do a phenomenal job of it. So like that, you know, that comes from a guy in my hometown, London, Ontario. This guy booked a show, and he promoted it that way, like it was just oh, okay. kind of a promo. Yeah, and somehow. Uh, there's been, you know, people that have written articles or like press stuff. They somehow found that promo. <laughs> I have no idea how he did this, and they found the promo and then like kind of put it in the thing. But I try to stay away from the, <laughs> the titles because it's like it just sounds so obnoxious and pretentious. Of you know, well, I've given even <laughs> to like let me build that way. Yeah. Well, I've given you a new title that's not pretentious at all tonight. So. Exactly. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to meet you in the tunnel over there with uh, weapons as you come out <laughs> right in Windsor. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's true. Stuff. Well, they've got hockey sticks. They've got, <laughs> they, they've got brooms and curling stones. Come on. This is true. This is true. <laughs> did you come to the States uh, early on? Did you do like shows in sort of your open mic phase or early on? Cause I would go to Windsor and do a bunch of shows when I was starting out. Yeah, I was, I was going to the U S very early. So like I started obviously super young in high school by the time I graduated when I was 18 or 19 or whatever, um, I was doing the road a little bit by that time. Mm-hmm. So, but that was just because like my early days, amateur nights, open mics, all that stuff. I like couldn't drive okay. for the first yeah. two years on my own. So my mom would like drive me to these shows, <laughs> um, in, in, you know, Toronto or Hamilton or Niagara Falls yeah. or whatever, um, to do that. And then once I started kind of opening shows or at least an MC spot, I was doing a lot more of that stuff in the U.S. Started okay. going to Michigan and Ohio and stuff really young, like 19, 19 20, somewhere in there. Wow, yeah. So you must have worked with, because the guy in Windsor that really helped me out was Leo Dufour. You know Leo? 
Oh, I know Leo. Yeah, Leo was great, That's man. A Canadian legend right there. Yeah, absolutely. Leo had his club, and you just go over Leo's, and he'd be like, yeah, come on over. You're going to be the MC." So this is how Leo, if you remember, as the MC at Leo's, it was Leo going up first and killing for 30 minutes and then bringing me up to MC and like completely unable to follow what Leo just did. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Classic, a classic Leo. Yeah, uh, that was it. Yeah, that was it, man. It was like, oh, come on, Leo. It's not fair. But you learn, you know, it's like iron sharpens iron. You got to like work with you got to work with good people to get good. And he was like one Absolutely. of those guys that I that really was there anybody really like instrumental for you? Anybody, even if we don't know him, like that was kind of your guy that took you, took him with you, took you with him and all that stuff. Uh, there was nobody, you know, to be honest with you, the biggest kind of mentor to me was not even a stand-up comedian. He was, a an improv actor and performer, um, okay. that I used to work with when I was, uh, when I was 18, I got hired, uh, with a murder mystery company. Okay. Yeah. We have, uh, we have those. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I was, so you're one of five actors, you work as an ensemble and for part of the night, it's all improvised as a character. And for the other part of the night, you're in scenes that are written out. Mm. And my first show, I was 18 years old. My first show was with this guy named Harvey Monroe and he just, him and I just clicked. He was like, he, he was an older guy. He reminded me so much of like, my grandpa, but if my grandpa did improv. Okay. And so we just like, we hit it off and he really taught me a lot about the art of like comedy as a whole. So not necessarily the stand up part, but I was able to take what he was teaching me with like, even just pacing and pausing and mm. like listening for, you know, is, are they still laughing? Don't step on that laugh. Continue. Yeah. Let's laugh, you know, stay in the moment, stay in the bit, stay in the character, whatever you're doing. Like, there's so many things he taught me doing those odd and bizarre shows that I, and I was doing stand-up at the time. So mm. I would take, you know, I'd do five shows with him on a weekend. And then on Wednesday night, I'd go do an open mic and I would take something, a little piece of something yeah. that I learned from him and apply it. So he was really, to be honest with you, the biggest, like, uh, uh, mo I guess motivator, inspiration, and, and teacher to be mentored for sure. Okay. Um, in in comedy, as far as stand up goes, uh, you know, there's there's so many people over the years that were just really amazing, and and you know, I I would always try to ask as many questions as possible, um, and and people like uh, Steve Sabo was it? Yeah. Was a yeah. Great, I know. Same with me. Yeah, I worked with Sabo a million times. Yeah, he was just a, an amazing guy. Brian McCree. Yeah, uh, Flint was Zone. Yeah, fantastic. yeah, he was he was just incredible to work with. Um, uh, Jeff. Uh, oh man, this this Jeff Brennan. Jeff Brennan. Brennan yeah. Yeah. Played the guitar. Yeah. I learned a lot from him. Yeah. Um, I believe he passed away recently, but is it Bill Hildebrandt? Bill Hildebrandt. That was my guy. That was literally my yeah. guy. It was Bill Hildebrandt. Yeah. So Bill, yeah. I worked with on a number of occasions, just like 
I wasn't touring with him, but just, you know, you'd, I'd be booked as a feature. He was the mm-hmm. headliner on like a one-nighter or a club or something. Um, so, you know, I learned a lot from him. There was a comedian, um, uh, I, I think he's still around, and his name is BT, like B. Yeah, yeah, sure. B-Dot. I know BT, yep. Yeah, and he, this, so I worked with him in Sacramento. We did four shows together, and he totally changed my whole perception of what killing meant. Wow. So I would have described up to that point killing as this certain, you know, response. This guy, I'm not, I'm not kidding. And I don't know if I've ever seen it since. And then, and I was like 21 years old at the time. So this is 16 years ago. And this guy came out from moment one <laughs> to moment like 55. This guy, people were rolling with laughter it was unbelievable to watch standing ovations every night and just like and i would sit there and watch every single show um when i was done i just i wanted to absorb as much as i possibly could and i was like trying to figure it out i had like a notebook out Mm -hmm. doing almost like (laughs) equation trying to figure out like how is this guy doing this Forensic uh, analysis of the BT comedy set by Jeff Leeson. <laughs> yeah, man. And, and uh, yeah, I just, I, I had no idea at that time the mechanics of what he was doing or like, wh- how, you know, even just the way he was saying stuff, his energy level, he, it was absolutely incredible to watch. And he was a really nice guy. We, we got along. I, I've never worked with him again. I've never come across yeah. him. Again, I've talked about this with a lot of people. Um, so, and I got to tell him, like, he drove me to the airport or we drove to the airport together the next day when we were flying out. And I got a chance to tell him just like, dude, that was, you know, and obviously from a 20 year old kid and when you're a headliner, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 whatever, you know, yeah. but it really changed my whole, I mean, it changed my whole perspective on comedy but definitely my entire perspective on what a what a kill is i was like i will never be able to say i killed until i until or or someone did until i see that again that was like incredible yeah bts yeah he used to play a lot of the clubs in detroit i think i worked them once or twice joey's in livonia maybe you ever do that club back Uh, in was that joey joey's in livonia yeah. yeah. And there was Joey's okay. in Dearborn. That was Bill Hildebrandsing. But then there was Joey's in Livonia. It was a weird club, but it was cool. It was a fun room. Joey's was my first ever club booking as a feature okay. in America. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. I have really fond memories of that place. It was a, it was bizarre, and yeah, sometimes yeah. it was really tough, especially those late Fridays. Yeah, but yeah. Man, man, did I learn a lot at that club. That was, yeah, I think I did times but they were the first ones that actually took a chance on this uh kid from canada that <laughs> wanted to come over and say his stupid jokes to americans you know yeah well that's awesome man yeah we kind of go we you and i kind of came up at the same time and got some of the same places and you know it's nice to hear i like hearing stories about you know the guys that i thought were good guys coming up and then you say they're good guys i'm like oh see i was right <laughs> Oh, yeah, man. I mean, you know, for the most part, quite honestly, yeah. everybody's been great. Some people are a little standoffish yeah. just because, you know, they're on the road, they're tired, they, they're they not going to, but, 
you know, for me, especially being so young, anybody that I asked a question to, they would at least give me a short answer, if not go in on it. Um, and, and I'll, you know, I was just, I really always appreciated that, uh, from, from at almost every single, like, I'm trying to think through if there was even anybody that wasn't. And I, I don't think there, there's nobody that I would say was like a dick or, yeah. you know, any, anything. So, yeah, I always really appreciated that, especially being so young, they could have just been like, yeah, this is like, you know, your hobby till you get done school or whatever, even though <laughs> I never went to school. That's so. all right. Oh, you went to the school of road comedy, hard knocks. Uh, that I did, yeah. Yeah. In that sense, I have a PhD, I believe. <laughs> the, the, in Michigan, the UP in the wintertime, that's the road. That was, oh yeah. <laughs> I, I did that run. It was that into Wisconsin yeah, okay. to North Dakota. Oh man. Right? There was, man. there was a run. I forget the bookers, but it was like three bookers that if the you lined it up, you could. Better back then <laughs> was Ken um, Muller was the Ken Muller was the Midwest guy right? Ken yeah, Mu- yeah, there Ken you Muller. go. Ken um, Muller, never duller. That's what they would say. That Bill Hildebrand told me that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Yeah, I remember getting snow. Oh, I remember one time in North Dakota that we were doing a show at a hotel, and I happened to get in a day early. And there was such a crazy storm that uh, the headliner never showed up. He couldn't (laughs) get there. And the booker called me. I can't even remember who the booker was now, but called me up. And he's like, uh, hey, how much time can you do? (laughs) And, of course, when you're 21 and you're in America, you're like, I can do whatever you want, man. (laughs) How much do you need? And uh, he was like, well, could you fill 90 minutes? Because nobody can get you're already there and nobody else can get there. I'm like, is there even going to be a crowd? He's like, it's in the hotel. So they draw (laughs) out and nobody can leave. So odds are it's going to be pretty packed. (laughs) So I had to do like my best at a, at a 90 minute show and learned. That's how you learn very quickly. Just how much time you had, which I believe was 12 for me. There's tricks you can do, but I don't know how you get to 90. But, hey, if they if they had fun, that's the most important thing, I guess, at the end of the day. And you know. uh, they, they did not. They did not have fun. Well. None of us had fun. All right. Did the club have to <laughs> refund anybody's money? Because if they didn't, <laughs> then you got away with no. it, I guess. So, you know what actually happened is they, they were actually a great crowd. Uh, I, but, but they were so sympathetic. Be- again, I think because I was young. And they, I kind of told them what happened, but like, I told it as a joke or whatever, but they understood like, okay, we're going to listen to this guy for 90 minutes. So probably about halfway through at the 40, 45 mark, they started uh, buying me drinks and shots. <laughs> See if that would help, uh, you know, more stuff. So the last half of that show uh, was, was pretty abrasive, I think. <laughs> Yeah, that's sending you drinks. You know, in my comedy class, I talk about like, hey, if you don't want to do the drinks, just have them send you like uh, iced tea and a shot glass. But at that point, you probably didn't know that trick. So, I no, I did not know that <laughs> trick. And 
I feel like in that particular town, they would have like they would be one of those people that would want to bring it to you themselves and smell it along the way to make sure it's really uh, what they ask yeah, for. Yeah, you're probably right. Well, we've it all was done just those. one of those, well, you know, uh, blue collar, yeah, uh, town, you know. It, but anyway, but you know, and again, it was one of those nights where you learn. I mean, it was tough. I don't know what I ended up getting to. Um, whether it was 90 or 70 or 80 or whatever, <laughs> but at least the hotel and the booker and everybody at least were like, you know, they understood that it was tough and no, you know, nobody, uh, and the crowd was fine. They yeah. they were happy with them at the end and they got to buy some drinks and watch a kid get drunk <laughs> in a hotel. And that leads us to this Sunday at the comedy castle. <laughs> oh, yes, man. please don't drink. To the stage, yes. the public service, please. Sending drinks that will happen this weekend. <laughs> no, we'll oh, do, we'll do the not. we'll do the iced tea trick. I'll talk to the bar staff. We, we got it all figured out. I'll edit this out of the show. Don't worry, no one will know. This is being cut out, Jeff. Don't worry. <laughs> You're a great man. Thank you. Well, I'll get you out of here. I got two things for you, uh, real quick. Maybe you've already covered this. Uh, I, I like to ask this of question to most comedians. I'll ask this because I think people find it interesting. What was the first time you got on stage? What was that? What did that involve? First time I got on stage, I was 14 years old. I wanted to, um, uh, I wanted to do comedy. Uh, my mom had been to a comedy club and saw a, uh, uh, a comedian get ruthlessly heckled Ooh. and she was like, listen, I, I, I completely understand you. This is something you want to do. I can't let you do no. uh, like a, an amateur night. You're yeah. too young. I can't let that happen. She said, however, uh, what I, what I would be willing to do is if this is something you want to try, let's do our own show. We can do it in the auditorium of my work oh, wow. uh, where she worked uh, we'll invite friends, family. You can sell tickets to like high, you know, I was in high school. So your, your friends, your hockey teammates, their parents, uh, you know, grant, my grandma had a bunch of friends. So like, you know, we'll, we'll kind of do our own show. You can try this, but in a comfortable environment where you, where I know where it's controlled, you know, yeah. and where we know people and they're not gonna, they're not gonna rip you apart. And I was like, okay. So my first time ever was <laughs> at the Canadian National Institute for the Blind Auditorium. <laughs> oh wow! Uh, in front of friends and family and students and hockey teammates and parents and grandparents and all that kind of stuff, where I thought I was to, <laughs> I thought what you did in comedy was you did sixty minutes because I'd yeah, only really yeah, watched right. like specials and clips. So I was like, well, if it's a show, I have to I have to write an hour. So I ended up doing what I thought was an hour, which turned out to be 32 minutes of talking <laughs> and, uh, of talk time total. And of that, I would say maybe two to four minutes of it was like actual stand-up comedy, <laughs> which was at best. Oh, wow. But they, but people were nice to you, I take it, if you're 14 and they know your mom. <laughs> they were very nice and they all knew me as well. So they were all like, wow. you know, this is cute or what, you know, whatever. This is interesting. And, uh, my grandma did heckle me. Uh, that <laughs> did happen. Oh, no. And that continued, uh, throughout my 
comedy career and, until she passed. She would come to shows and have no issue with uh, heckling from time to time. But it did all start with that. Wow. Uh, with that show, the 14. Well, that must have been a big hit, though, in Grandma Heckler. If people find out that's your real grandma and she's heckling you, the crowd must have went crazy. You know what happened to me once? I did a, <laughs> This was years later, headlining a comedy uh, club um, in in Burlington, Ontario. It's called Club 54, Comedy at Club 54. Mm-hmm. And um, my grandma came to the show and she heckled something. And it was, she was good too. Like she was funny. She, had, she was Scottish and like had a cool accent, but it was also loud. And, you know, it was just like, she was funny and charismatic. And so she yelled something. I said something back. People laughed. She said something again. I said something back. People laughed. And then finally I was like, just so you know, that is my real grandma. Like I, I don't guys to think this is a bit I'm doing every night where some lady yells and I say, grandma, that's my real grandma. And, uh, I go, you know what you guys should do is at the end, you should all give my grandma a hug. So that was early on in the set or midway through. So I get done with the set. I go backstage. And when I come out of the, the green room area, I walk out and there's a lineup of people that are hugging my grandma. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, she, she was just helping out. <laughs> just helping. Just I mean, helping. Case, she she help you. Was. Absolutely. And <laughs> she did. Just, she was. That's what they all she say. Oh, man. All right, Jeff, I was going to ask you one more question, but we'll get out of here. You can't. How are you going to top grandma? Come on. You can't top I don't that. Know. You can feel free to ask if you want. We can <laughs> cut it if it was good. Well, I was, I was going to ask the other sort of stock question I ask is, like, what was the last job you had before you quit comedy? Before you were full, before you quit to do comedy full time, what was the last thing you did for work? All right. Great. That's a great question. Okay. And I'll tell you exactly what it was. Right. I delivered coffee. Coffee. I was I delivered coffee to like businesses, so okay. not not like you could order a coffee, a cup of coffee yeah. to your door, and I delivered. It. it was like I would go to a company, walk in, change all their beans in yeah. their in their uh, you know coffee makers up, you know, put, refill the sugars and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, and I did not quit to go to comedy full time. Oh, okay, I what I would do is. For years, I would get a job usually around June or July because comedy was a little bit tougher in the summer. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of people weren't going out to comedy clubs and stuff. They were going up north or going to their cottage or whatever. So I would get a job for like a few months and I would go into it knowing that there was an end period when I would go back to doing stand-up, mm-hmm. even though the employer did not know that. So. I would get a job. And then in this case, I had that job. I got it in June around August. I had two weeks worth of shows booked where I had to be gone, but I had no like vacation and no new. So I just took sick days for two weeks. Uh, Then I came back and then I had another like four days where I had to go away again. They didn't know what I was doing. I just kept taking sick days. So my last day to work, I'm on my way to the bus and a phone call comes in and it's them. And they said, where are you? I said, I'm on my way. They said, don't worry about it. Uh, you don't work here anymore. Oh. And uh, you're, you're done. And so, but what that did for me was, again, it changed everything because I go home. I hated the job and I knew I was quitting, but I still had about three weeks left before the gigs mm-hmm. kick in. 
So I go back home and I sit there and I'm like, okay, I'm awake right now. It's seven 30 in the morning and I'm leaving to go to a place that I didn't want to go to, but I'm just going there because I have to. What if right now I just, instead of going back to bed or doing nothing or whatever, why don't I just start booking, you know, every show that I possibly can? Why don't I just spend the next, however many hours I was going to be at this shit job I don't like? Why don't I just spend that time booking? So I do that. This is on a a Monday or a Tuesday. By the end of the day, I had booked three shows. And the shows were more than what I would have made in the week at this job I don't like. So I go, huh, that's interesting. (laughs) So I say, okay, now today I'll set my alarm as if I'm going to this other job. I'll get up. I'll do the exact same hours. By the end of the second day, I had four more shows booked. That's seven shows in two days. By the end of the week, I had booked a few thousand dollars in shows that were coming up. Like, obviously, they were months down the line, but a few of them were like corporate stuff where I could ask for deposits, which was going to take care of my money for the next three weeks until my shows kicked in. And what it did for me was go, okay, if this is truly what you want to do, then all you're all you're missing right now clearly is that you're not putting in the hours that it Mm. takes to actually do this. So if you keep the same hours, legit 40 hours a week on just the booking side, and then obviously, you know, you travel or you do whatever you can, but if you can keep doing that, then odds are you'll never have to have a job again. And that was, uh, what was that? Nine, 10, years ago and i've never had a job since then wow wow what a lesson put in time booking guys comedians if you're listening to this learn from jeff but in a way had they not fired you you're still delivering coffee at least at that point you're not going yeah see it was i mean i knew i was leaving there but it was it came at a time where i still had i still needed the needed the money so it was out of that like panic and oh my god what am i going to do that where i think all kind of great ideas and big things in your life come from it was like oh shit i'm i'm in a lot of trouble oh but wait i have this i could i've done sales i know how to book stuff i'm fine with contracts like you know that side of it you're just not putting in enough you know time effort and energy and i mean it wasn't like I was doing great shows. These were like some were shitty bar gigs and some were, um, you know, corporate shows that were brutal and, you know, whatever. But I was just doing like literally every single possible stage. Somebody would pay me any amount of money to get on. I, that's all I was looking for. That's awesome. Well, God, I mean, so it's a uh, born out of necessity, full-time comedian, Jeff Leeson. Now Canada's number one comedian, the king of crowd work. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And I think maybe I, we're not even getting into this because we I should let you go. I think the best name for a comedy special, and I, and tell me if I get this. Correct me if I get this wrong. Sorry, I'm not Kevin Hart. Is your comedy special? <laughs> yes, that is. That's unbelievable. <laughs> that is the name of my special. Do you know why it's called that? No, did you I, ever see that? I, I did not see that. No. Uh, so the reason it's called that is, and this is in the special. Okay. I'm at. I ask. Um, 
these two, I'm talking to these two people and I ask if they're married. They say, no, this is my, the guy goes, no, this is my sister. And she says, that's my brother. And I go, oh, okay. And then uh, he says, my wife went to see Kevin Hart. <laughs> and he was, I didn't even notice, but I was doing the club and Kevin Hart was at like the arena. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and so in the same city, but I, I didn't, I didn't know he was there. And I was wondering why it was such a light. <laughs> it was like a night early show at a club that's normally sold out. Mm -hmm. So it was like, this is weird. Why, you know, so she goes, yeah. Or he goes, yeah, my wife went to go see Kevin Hart. So I recorded a message, a video message <laughs> on his phone for his wife about uh, how I felt about that situation. Uh, and that, um, and kind of told her everything she missed at the show. And so that's why the name of it was sort of uh, Kevin Hart. That's a great, I, well, I'd say, look, to come up with that title, uh, organically, people must have thought you were a nut. You know, so when you have that story behind it, it, it gives it some some context. It's still hilarious. Did they, any word from Kevin or his people? Did anybody uh, investigate this, or you know if he he knows about this? I, as far as I know, he does not. I never received a cease and desist <laughs> or anything like that. And also, I made it very clear I am not. I mean, it is very clear yeah. I am not Kevin Hart. You're I'm not, not saying Kevin, Kevin Hart. <laughs> I'm saying I am not. And not only am I not, I am apologizing to you for the fact that I am not. Well, Kevin Hart is not. So, yeah. I, yeah. He's not Canada's I number one think, comedian. <laughs> uh, he is not. I mean, unless he starts touring yeah, in Canada. Yeah, actually, he would be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right, Jeff. Hey, thanks for talking to me. Uh, it's going to be a real fun time Sunday night. I'll see you there. And everybody come out. He's not. I don't think Kevin Hart's in town, so you're good. I hope not. We'll be packed. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for talking to me, Jeff. We'll see you. Thank you, man. Right, Looking forward to Sunday. Thanks for okay. having me. Bye-bye. I mean, I don't even know where to start wrapping up these, <laughs> to wrap up two half-hour interviews, but oh my God. I, like I said, I was feeling comfortable with Vicky when I said, Tell Simon to stop touching his face. Uh, what kind of plastic surgery? Is that? If you haven't seen it, like, like I'm talking in the last week, I've seen some horrible picture of Simon Cowell. So, yeah, knock that off. All right. And I hope my, you know, you all get out to Vegas, get married. <laughs> the, the honeymoon suite. That's great. Yeah, Vicky's a character, man. I dig it. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing her. And, and you guys can, too, this weekend. And, of course, Jeff Leeson. So thanks to Vicky. Thanks to Jeff. I mean, what can I tell you about Jeff Leeson? The guy's done it. He's on the road. He's calling me, by the way. You guys didn't know. He's calling me from a hotel. I'm calling him in a hotel room. It's 9 o'clock at night. He's probably been driving all day, but he wants to talk to you guys. He wants to get some people out to the show, and uh, it's going to be fun. Jeff Leeson on Sunday, 730. Vicky, Thursday through Saturday. That also is a special event, I should mention. So no passes or anything like that for Vicky's shows. But uh, they're going to be fun. Come out. Come out out to the Comedy Castle. It's all happening every weekend. Like I say every week. I think the club's busier than it's ever been. That's fantastic. I'm so thankful that you guys are listening to this show. I'm thankful that you're coming to the club, that I get to talk to all these great headliners. It's, that's a lot of fun. So thanks for listening. I'm Joel Fregameni. We'll catch you next time on the Comedy Castle Podcast. Good night, everyone.